Happy Labor Day, everyone. Andy and Jay are busy with reproductive work today of the small humankind, and I've kept busy binging the Korean drama startup, thanks Discord, and making pottery and Philly tomato pie. Our episode this week is, by request, a full hour on the climate crisis, with a very time-to-say-goodbye-style guest. I recorded it live in mid-August on my hashtag van life trip to Southern California with my mom. I think we said on the pod before, maybe a few weeks ago, in connection with Amazon, that this summer in particular has felt jam-packed with signs of our human-made apocalypse. And that was before Hurricane Ida washed out New Orleans, New York, and Philly among other places. A few days ago, on the tail end of my time out here, I went hiking at Mount Rainier, one of the great treasures of this region, and felt totally overwhelmed at the horizon of brown and gray. There was almost none of the blue-white snowpack that gives Mount Rainier its characteristic look, and that the local ecosystem depends on. All this makes our episode urgent and necessary. So I hope you enjoy this talk with Andrea Vidalre in San Bernardino, with editing help by our pal James. And to get us started, are some tunes from the local band Mirta. Thanks. People's Collective for Environmental Justice, or PSEDGE, a new organization out here in the Inland Empire. I'm really excited to talk to Andrea. We've been in touch over the past couple of years about Amazon organizing in this area. It's a big warehousing zone. Um, If folks don't know, the Inland Empire is usually connected to Walmart warehouses, Amazon warehouses, a huge logistics hub in California. Um, It is inland, as the name suggests. And that causes for various topographical reasons, a lot of smog to build up, which has affected the mostly Latino community out here. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to meet you. Yeah, it's really excited, exciting to talk to you. Um, why don't we start by, by saying a little bit about PSEDGE. So you guys are just starting this organization, People's Collective for Environmental Justice. Um, what is it and what do you guys plan to do out here? Yeah, so um, PSEDGE is a collective that myself and other residents out here in the Inland Empire came together to create actually during the pandemic Mm. um, because we felt like we needed a place to be able to support one another in our fights um, for EJ, economic justice out here in the Inland Empire. Um, A lot of us came from doing a lot of organizing work in the IE through nonprofits and we um, decided, hey, let's start our own thing, one where, you know, it's horizontal leadership, flatlined, and we're able to really go after the things that we know are really important to us. And so our, our, our members and our staff are consist of people that are impacted by the industry, impacted by um, either work in the industry, impacted by it, um, and want to do something about it. And so we know that it gets like really lonely sometimes with all <laughs> of these different projects coming at you. And so we said, let's, let's create that hub for each other to feel supported as we take on these, you know, these big monsters. 
we're really trying to create this like horizontal consensus um, decision-making process where no matter if you are experienced for 10 years or you're just coming in, like you have the same say in your community and in your collective. And we're trying to mimic what our government institutions should be doing on decision-making mm -hmm. and how not one people should be chosen to uh, represent or, or say what is best for other people, but people themselves can say what is best for them in their community. And what does environmental justice mean for the collective? I mean, EJ is super personal. A lot of our communities are either like, this is the community that our parents migrated to, right? Mm -hmm. From other countries. And so this is our, this is our home. This is what we're forced to make home. And so it's very, you know, personal to us. A lot of us um, have had community members or, or family members, right? Pass away in, in, in living here, right? Or, or suffered through mm -hmm. different health complications. And so um, EJ for us is like, one, you know, continuing this like movement that exists not just in the IE, but it's, you know, it's an EJ movement is international, right? Like being in solidarity with all people that are oppressed by capitalism and yeah. pollution, right? And money. Um, but then two, it, it, for EJ for us is like, how do we create better, a better place for our families? Because mm. our families live here, yeah. our families work here. We want our families to continue living here, continue growing up here. And we don't want like other people to predict um, or say what our environment should look like. So EJ for us is, you know, let's, let's find, let's make it better, right? Then, then they're making it. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're sitting in a space that I think is populated mostly by immigrant worker nonprofits or, you know, organizations that are fighting for justice in this community. Yeah. Can you describe the community? Is it mostly Latino workers? And, you know, do you identify as Latina? Like what's your own family history here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, definitely. We are at the Inland Congregations United for Change office. They're calling it the Center for Community Organizing. They're going to be opening up in October. It's this wonderful space that the community um, has been able to acquire. Um, this this org specifically has been in the community for decades, and so it's super nice to see them institutionalize something and have mm. open doors for all of us to come in and work out of. So it's becoming like this hub for a lot of us. And you're right, there's immigrant rights organizations that work out of here, EJ organizations, labor organizations, um, and um, in general, just like community organizing organizations. So um, we... And they're catering, you know, we create, they created this space and they're catering really to the community here, which, which is very working class immigrant and living in communities that have been like, like structurally disinvested in, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people, so we're in the heart of San Bernardino and San Bernardino, unfortunately has a lot of, um, uh, what is it called? Like recognition or people know the name by really negative things. Mm. So like the bankruptcy that happened, extreme corruption by the city government and just taking away so much money from the community. Um, they know it for a massive shooting that happened a couple years ago, right? And so there are a lot of structural issues that are kind of compound here. And so what's really nice about this space is that we're getting all these people that want something better for us to be together yeah. and able to just like be in, in community with each other. And so the pandemic makes it hard to be with each other, but this space hopefully is going to be that spot um, as things open up again. And as of right now, it just is the hub for us to do work out of and, you know, have people over at, um, in my personal history and, and why, like, you know, I, I'm in this movement and I, I feel myself like in spaces with people that are in this movement too is like because my, my parents are um, they're migrants from Peru 
the uh, first industry they went into when they came here was um, either like the orange industry, which was really big out mm -hmm. here. Um, but that quickly kind of left. My parents are young, so like that, the orange it was almost at the tail end of the orange industry, yeah, wow. and immediately went into like logistics and aerospace, mm. which is really big out here. So my parents have been warehouse workers um, their whole lives, and. I grew up experiencing what it feels like to see workers get disenfranchised at work. My dad always touts like this union job he had that I got to uh, be uh, taken out of the hospital with like $3, right? Because they're, they had <laughs> oh, such wow. good insurance, you know? Um, but like with time, um, I saw like his union shop close down, open up like across the street, oh, ununionized. And from there, like people like my dad getting stuck in this temp agency cycle, which is really big here wow. where the companies are like 40% of our staff or employees are going to be from a temp agency. And so they keep them for six months, one year at a time, mm -hmm. then they have to go reapply. And that means like no one gets to um, get their wages raised every year, even though you've been at a company for like eight years. You wow. don't get your wages raised, you don't get benefits. Um, you kind of get stuck, right? And they're doing this to so many of our community here. Um, so like that's kind of my background is like kind of seeing the way the industry just slowly became more and more oppressive to the workers. Um, and also booming at the same time, which helps mm. in a way. Because instead of, oh, you don't want to work here, go work somewhere else. And, like, just the that's race to the bottom has been proliferating out here. And I feel like I saw it in real time. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and at the same time, right, like, learning and understanding about, like, the health consequences of working at a warehouse, not only inside, because it is very dangerous work, but then outside, right? Like, what what is creating so much industry in our communities creating for us for mm -hmm. our lungs you know all the pollutions that's coming in from the trucks that bring in and out the things for these warehouses so um that's kind of like wow. the background and what what got me into it was really growing up and seeing it and i know that's what a lot of other people um when we meet a lot of other people who want to do something it's because they either experienced it or they they see it happening to their family like it's almost like a just this like chronic attack, right? Mm. Yeah. Now, you, I've read some reports that document like elevated rates of asthma and can, even cancers out here. Yeah. What are the con health conditions that you saw in your family and that other people have seen in their families? Yeah, I mean, a big one is asthma, right? Like there is lots of uh, children here that grow up with really hard time breathing, right? And during the summers um, when the heat is even worse and it increases the ozone in, in our communities um it's hard for them to go out and play and run and you know some kids have to run with like an inhaler in their hands so that when they make it to the finish line they have to like pump right um i had a little i had some breathing complications when i was younger but i really feel it for the newer generation coming in because the boom really mm -hmm. had this logistics boom i would say really happened about five to 10 years ago, Wow! right? And right now, now, ongoing, this growth of just sprawl of, of, of warehousing, which is bringing in trucks. So um, those are the complications here. And yeah, there are cancer clusters. I mean, there, there was a study done, and this was like 10 or 15 years ago now, where they did a study around the rail yard here in SB, which we're not too far from, uh, where they showed like the five cancer clusters in the area, right? And, you know, it's, it's everywhere and it's not you don't have to live right by it but it's this thing called like just cumulative impact it's just you know the rail yard being so close to mm. us 
warehouse sprawl coming in, bringing in trucks, and then other sources that are growing, right? With, with the way our economy is growing. And what's hard in, is that to reference back to what they say about SB being disinvested and other parts of the Inland Empire being disinvested is that their like solution is we need to bring this in. This is how we're gonna bring in jobs. This is mm. how we're gonna bring up the community. We're gonna lift everybody up through these jobs. And like what they're failing to see is that it's not lifting us up. If anything, it's keeping us stagnant because this industry is rampant for exploitation. And then two, um, it's bringing in this, just like all of this smog, which is even worse, right? Hmm. And do you feel that when you were making those early connections, you know, seeing your parents in the industry, um, did you feel that that they too and their coworkers were, were making connections between the labor issues and the health issues and um, despite the deunionization, were there other ways for them to kind of plug into organizing frameworks at their workplace? Um, yes and yes and no. Um, I actually think it it's becoming it became harder and harder to have unionization efforts because of the growth of warehousing that was happening, where people were became a lot more expendable. Um, and were there being connections with the health? Um, I think so. Um, but again, that, that wasn't like, I guess a main priority, right? Although yeah. I, I will say though, like, um, warehouse worker resource center is a group in the community that has been fighting, um, with warehouse workers for like over a decade and they have, they were going after this company, um, and they had this really big action one time where they staged it. They staged forklifts in the middle of a street and just like chained themselves to wow. it as a way of protest for like the rights that were being violated warehouse workers. And they just, they ended up doing that action in an intersection where they were building warehouses right next to homes. And so bridging those two things was like, oh, mm. and that was about like, that must have been like over eight years ago, maybe. So it's like, I think there has been connections for bringing the two together, like, hey, it's happening in our in our community in our workplace and in our communities, right? Um, but what's hard is, um, I think, has been connecting the two um, with some of these fights, right? Because they do try to pit the jobs versus the environment with us a lot, um, and they and they try to tell us that like we you know hate jobs, we kill jobs, like the the basic environmental trope, right? Yeah. Like that you hear. <laughs> and so I think actually through time we've been able to see a little bit of a change with that where now we're in a place where we're trying to negotiate with them. Well it's like, okay, well if you're not gonna give us um if you're gonna give us jobs, make sure they're good jobs. So now it's like the challenge of like, well what kind of jobs are you bringing in? Mm-hmm. Um but that's a hard battle because again it's like the scarcity mindset, this like my, and I think big companies do that on purpose. They come into communities that have been disinvested. They give crumbs and they expect to be like looked at like gods, right? And so that's, I think, a little bit of what happens too and makes it a lot harder, I think, for the, the labor movement to be able to, to fight for these things because you have politicians themselves taking these crumbs, right? Again, like saying they represent the workers, which you ask any worker and they'll say their labor is worth way more than they're getting paid. Yeah. Because, you know, we have become like our, like the way we shop online, the way that we get things so quickly stopped, like the consumerism, right, is fueled by these workers. And if they were to stop, 
everything would just stop. Like they're so essential. And I mean, we saw that during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Like the way things just like, we saw a glimpse of what would happen if warehouse workers were gone for a day or something, right? And um, so it's like, they all know that they should be getting paid more for mm-hmm. this kind of work. What are the wages in the area? So um, Amazon pays, I think, about 15 to 17. And so a lot of people think that's really good. I know in California, it's you know higher than other states. But with the way the housing market is here, the way California is getting so expensive, it actually isn't enough for people to buy a home mm-hmm. and have generational wealth here. So it's like maybe compared to other minimum wages, it's pretty good, but not for what the state of California is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember the last time we talked on the phone, um, I was just fascinated to hear you describe, you know, sort of the California warehouse labor dynamic versus Bessemer, Alabama, which people have talked about so much, where it's a town where people can, Amazon can come in and say $15 an hour, and that's way more than anyone's getting paid at any other warehouse. But here, that's sort of just like an average wage, a baseline wage. Um, But also the, the way that that intersects with the housing market, which... I think people have been pushed out of LA and LA County are moving east. Do you want to say what what you've been seeing in terms of the housing market and how that's changed for people who've always been here? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people we meet out here are people that have been pushed out of LA because LA has gotten so expensive and a lot of the gentrification that's happening in LA, right? So a lot of them get pushed out here and then what happens here is that they think like okay we you know we can buy some land we'll be able to be good here but regardless like uh, the housing prices are going up and warehousing being one of the top employers of the region it just doesn't make enough and mm-hmm. also account that there are some union shops out here that do make enough okay. right they do they're like you know teamsters has organized like Teamster members have organized at um, at Stater Brothers. There have been, there are some union shops under UFCW. Um, So there are some union shops that do pay a good living wage, Mm. but the majority of them are not union and instead use this temp agency scam, which I call, I'm super bitter about it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so you, you have that thing. And so it's, it's hard. You've got a lot of renters, you've got a lot of, people that are just making it paycheck to paycheck. Um, and even trucking, right? Like trucking is also a really big industry in this community mm-hmm. and the trucking industry does pay well, but what we also see in out here is that the trucking industry is also notorious uh, for claiming, like misclassifying their workers. Say, yeah. yeah, they misclassify their workers. It's like a really interesting time in the environmental movement, I think, because a lot of people talk about the just transition and we've been trying to figure that out for logistics i guess here and you know we talk about electric trucks electric this we need electric and, and we do um but the problem is it's if we don't go to the source of the problem like the exploitative labor mm-hmm. we can have electric trucks we might get electric trucks but all of our families are going to be suffering paying for this out of their paycheck every single month yeah. not being able to like live um, you know, day to day because now they're owing all their money to this truck when it should be paid by, of course, the employers that are, right. you know, using the trucks to mm-hmm. move it. So um, in California, I know that that's been a really big policy fight is like, how do we get, you know, if we are going to transition transportation over, we have to make sure workers are included and not just workers are included, like this like, oh, we have to like include them in the transition, but just like the root problem mm-hmm. on why labor 
is that the place labor is at, right? Yeah. Why like um, employers have been allowed to like exploit for so long? Like it's it is a duty, I think, of the environmental movement, quote unquote, to uh, to address that. Yeah. And so just to describe that a little bit more for people who may not know, so you're talking about how back in the day, interstate trucking was more traditionally like an employer-employee model, and now it's much more kind of independent contractor-based, but some of that is unlawful, and some of that is maybe lawful, sort of unclear. And so when you talk about the electric trucks, you're talking about, is it the duty of the independent contractor, quote-unquote, small business owner to buy his own truck that meets the state's requirements or would it be the company that puts that person out on the street is that kind of what you're talking about yeah and just to use like an example right like like uh, amazon or something right amazon's profiting off of whatever they're selling on their site um but they tell a driver who drives for them that you that you have to pay for the truck we're like contracting you out for this for for you to move the stuff even uh-huh. though they don't get any profits from the movement of the stuff other than just right. like being the carrier of it right and so that should fall as part of an expense of the employer. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it is, they call them small business truck, you know, they're, they're their own business, yeah. they're their own boss <laughs> right. when they're not, right? Like they have to report at a certain time, they have to move certain things exactly. at a certain time, right? It's not like they just get different contracts every day. They, they get contracted by these people. You were just talking about the environmental movement and you put it in quotes. And um, <laughs> um, maybe we could, if you could talk a little bit about the sort of just transition and how you see that coming from this perspective, which... I think is so rich, you know, where you're at the intersections of health and yeah. labor and immigration status. And, mm-hmm. But that that isn't really the the sort of per, what per, people perceive as the core of the environmental movement. So in to what extent are you part of the environmental movement doing this work? Yeah, it's like interesting, right? I put it I do put it in air quotations because a lot of people know that environmental movement is like a you know, it comes from a history of just being really white and really, you know, and just very elitist and um, about conservation and stuff like that. And so I don't know if I always invi- identify it in the environmental movement. Mm-hmm. I know that like mm-hmm. our movement is like a justice movement, right? Like our movement is about, it, yes, we, of course we <laughs> want to conserve our environment. Like that is like extremely important to us, but like what's in our faces right now is like the fact that like our environment attacks our health every day. And it's not really our environment, right? It's more so the people that are making our environment so sick for us to mm-hmm. live in. Um, so that's our main fight, right? And and then you this dynamic of having to like understand labor, it comes intrinsically with it because mm. people that work in this industry also live here, right? So it's like those intersect like we never it's it's hard to divide them. Yeah. Because it's almost like we are we are the workers, we are the laborers that are in this industry that deserve both, right? We are the ones that need both clean air and good jobs. Um, and so sometimes, yeah, the environmental movement, especially as it gets closer and closer to Sacramento, right? It just becomes more divided. Like labor mm-hmm. has their priorities, environment has I their see. priorities, and it's like for us, it's they're they're one and the same. They they have to be, because um, if not, like we get one thing and we don't get the other, and we need both, right? Because that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that the Green New Deal, as envisioned by the Squad, captures that? Um, I don't. I'm not sure. Um, I think there are some like good policy. Um, policy proposals there. Um, I really, I do think it's still theoretical in nature, right? Um, but I do love the idea of like supporting like institutionalized union labors to be able to yeah. really help with us think about the future. 
Um, do I think, of course, there needs to be more uh, acknowledgement and respect for the indigenous communities and also communities that are being impacted? Yeah, there's mm -hmm. a lot of work that probably should be included in there. But no, the, this transition or investing in this future, I think is important um, because when we don't like take the responsibility to invest or require companies to invest, then it falls, it ultimately, I believe, ends up falling on us mm. on having to figure it out. How do we keep ourselves safe? Okay, we're gonna need to like invest in these electric drives and you know. Yeah, so. yeah. In logistics, what would the what is the sort of green vision of logistics? Because I get the electric trucks piece, but are there other pieces of pieces? it? So um, actually, there's a center that'll be opening up in SB, first of its kind, which will be uh, it's going to be at the Teamster Hall building, but it's also going to be run by the Inland Empire Labor Council and all of their affiliates, along with Warehouse Worker Research Center and some environmentalists. And uh, they are going to be training, or they want to be training, they're going to have cohorts of training for this new green logistics, because it's mm. not only important, the technology, it's about like the, the worker consciousness, the worker empowerment, the worker, you know, like being yeah. with workers along this transition. Cause it's not just like, let's swap out a truck. Yeah. It is so much more than that. Like the just transition is supposed to be about, I, in my opinion, right. Uh, a transition of also like consciousness, the mm. way we're looking at how we sync up our, you know, our businesses and industry with the environment. So it's not so mm. um, clashing. And so, um, yeah, that's, uh, there's electrification is, is very important, but also what we don't talk about enough here, which I think is really important, it's going to be an important conversation in the future in the Inland Empire, is that electrification is not going to solve the whole issue. Like if we put, if we just replace every diesel truck with an electric truck, mm -hmm. I think we're still going to run into the same problem about extraction because there is still, you know, um, mineral mining yeah. that comes for electrification. And if you go a little bit more east in the Inland Empire, you'll get to what's called the Salton Sea hmm. and what they're calling Lithium Valley. And so right. our neighbors who will be affected by extraction are super close to us. Wow. You know, not to say that a lot of this lithium is coming from places like Peru. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and other countries, it's, yeah. it's kind of ironic, right? Uh, Bolivia, Chile and stuff. Um, so what's really hmm. important, I think, is how do we reorganize society so that we are able to move goods sustainably? Because right now we leave it up to whoever has the money to be able to put up a warehouse or to be able to expand a rail yard or to build out the airport. And that's just not, that's like infinite. You know, if they could take out every open lot in the Inland Empire, put a warehouse, I think they would. A hundred percent think they would. And again, it's because it's like one person doing their own thing. I, I, I think there has to be a little bit of more reorganization of the way we move goods hmm. like and finding out like what is the most sustainable way of moving goods to people so people have their needs met yeah and let's also do it equitably because out here in the inland empire we are the census tracts that shop the least compared to the census tract that shop the most which do not have any of this infrastructure by them they do not have the freight freeways they do not have the airports they do not have the rail yards or the warehouses and those are the census tracts that are consuming the most so it's also this like how do we reorganize goods so that it pairs up better? Yeah. We probably have shorter trips that way too. Um, we're probably needing less of these um, these long hauls. So that's, I think, another conversation about how goods movement needs to be changing. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a that's a big one that goes yeah. right up against you know our market based model, which is everyone can be a businessman and everybody can 
you know, look out for yourself and your money and your pocket. And that, I mean, I mean, it's very proven that like, if we keep doing that, the earth is not, is not in concert with that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think also we're just, we're so used to just clicking through Amazon and looking for the cheapest damn thing. So this whole model of you could develop an idea in San Bernardino, but it's going to be cheaper for you to get the materials from China, ship them to India to be manufactured, ship them back to China to be shipped, right? So how do we get away from that? Yeah, absolutely (laughs) disconnected from any sense of geography, place. Yeah. You know, efficiency is just dollar amount. It's, yeah, it is. And we don't calculate the, the cost and that that's also a big part and that's a big part why logistics grew so much in the Inland Empire was because, um, you know, neoliberalism, right? Where the industries of manufacturing left yeah. this area and they went to uh, overseas where it was cheaper and then it was like, okay, well, how do we make up for our distribution? Because we are the consumers, quote unquote, right? right. So we still yeah. need it. So they replaced it with something else, but almost like elongated it because... You're right. Like people that are on the other end of this um, are suffering just as much from this efficiency model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the rail yards and the airports, and I know you guys have had an airport campaign here where I think you're fighting against the expansion of freight airports. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about the airport and rail that exist here and what the fights have been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one of our uh, campaigns a couple of years ago that started was around Amazon wanting to come into the city of San Bernardino to build its, I believe, fourth warehouse. Um, They wanted to build it um, at the airport because they wanted to expand their West West Coast Air Hub. It would be their first West Coast Air Hub. So I think their first one might have been in Minnesota, uh, Texas, and then we're gonna be building this one. And (laughs) it was with this promise, like this is how same day shipping's gonna be possible, right? And so um, they wanted to build it out. And so a lot of us who work in the community um, said, hey, this is this is not okay. One, like this is one of the most polluted, the area where they want to be in, it's one of the most polluted parts of this city and also of the region. One, because it used to be an Air Force base. So they used to have like dump fuel, jet fuel in the area. So it's a super fun site, which is wow. just an EPA designated toxic site. And so although uh, remediated and cleaned up, the the impacts still exist in the community, right? We're still talking about mm-hmm. an area that's heavily polluted. So that's where they wanted to come in. And then you have folks that are like, right? you know, we're talking about a, a community that has one of the richest companies in the world here. We have four of them. You would think the community would have a little bit more benefits and not being at levels of poverty, right? What are they, the four? Hmm? Name the four. The four. The well, the, well, the four. Um, they have four, Amazon has four warehouses here, mm-hmm. but you also have you know you have big box retailers like Home Depot and Staples mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. of these other. Okay. You have Walmart, right? You went with Walmart, and so you have these big box companies here. You would think that the community would probably represent more of that wealth that is accrued yeah. from from that company, but it but it doesn't. And so um, that was another fight. So we're like, if you're going to come into our community, then there are certain standards that you need to come in with. You know, this is like, this is the job quality we want. This is the health and safety we want. We were like, if you're Amazon, if you're going to come in, if you know how to get to the moon, you can figure out how to electrify your fleet. You can mm-hmm. figure out how to get these planes right. Because like, if you're doing all this other stuff with your money, there's got to be a way you can clean up your operations. 
we put this all out and we said, you know, we wanted a community benefits agreement, which is the developer and, you know, um, company directly negotiate with the community and it's legally binding. So the community could go back and say, hey, you didn't follow this um, because something else that happens here is they promise 500, 600 jobs, half of them become on a bit automated. And so then you actually don't get the jobs you right. wanted. So, and there's no accountability mechanism. And so that's, that was the campaign and it was great. It was a campaign with uh, unions and labor groups and um, community groups, environmental groups, et cetera, fighting for this. But what was the gatekeeper was the politicians here. Mm. Again, saying like, we need to invite them in. We are so excited. We, you know, glorifying their entrance into them and not asking anything above it, right? Yeah. Even though they, they get, you know, subsidized, they get right. tax subsidies, et cetera, for this. And so that campaign ended up in litigation because the, on top of that, the airport um, and the Federal Aviation Administration, which is the federal mm. government administration, stated that, um, the impacts from the trucks were not going to be significant or, oh, wow. or something like that. So we're like, oh no, this is all off. So they are, um, they are being sued. They were sued uh, by us and the attorney general at the time, Xavier Becerra, also sued on his behalf. And so that's still in litigation. So we're still waiting for some type of conclusion or resolution from that. That'll be a big mm. win if... Yeah. If the court is able to say, yeah, this company obviously, one, is lying about their impacts, and two, can do a lot more to prevent the impacts. Yeah. So and as it stands, it has there hasn't been a hub established here. It's in a holding pattern. No, it actually is, is uh, it gets built out. So the way environmental law works, and I think a lot of law that tries to protect our communities, they're not strong enough. The, even though it is in question, Right, like mm -hmm. the impacts are in question by the court. They are. They were still allowed to build. They were still allowed to operate. Just, which again is like a sign of the way that like we treat our community so badly. Mm -hmm. You know, we we wait until like we're we're putting community through this, even though we don't know that the impacts what the impacts could be. Mm -hmm. But they're like guinea pigs. It's okay, right? Like they're expendable and. And that's what's happening, and that, that's what it says to me. So, um, so we're still waiting on on that, and it's getting mm -hmm. built out. Amazon offered like a thousand dollar bonus if you work there for three months. If you last for six months, I think you get another bonus because turnover rate is so right. huge here. Yeah, people don't stay here. These are not career jobs. These are not jobs that you want to stay here at either because of the way that affects your body, your mm -hmm. mental health, etc. So, and so that. It, the Amazon hub, the airport hub, if that comes to its full, in full form, the jobs that will be associated with that are basically warehousing jobs, like the loading and unloading part. Yeah. But it's dedicated to Amazon. Yes, they have their own hub at this airport. FedEx yeah. and UPS also have a bit of their hub, uh -huh. but Amazon would have um, a large portion of the hub. And yeah, they, they did say that they were going to have some types of mechanic jobs and um, you know, these mm -hmm. higher airport jobs, but, but most of them were going to be unloading, transloading. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what's happening at, on the railway end? On the railway end, which is, you know, Amazon has like increased so many of their container loads on rail as well. Um, and so have other, other companies, um, out here. So California is trying to do a high speed rail right. for the state, um, for passengers, but 
California is saying that in order to do it, they're going to need to um, use some of BNSF's rail. Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, BNSF and Union Pacific's rail lines. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so to do that, Union Pacific and BNSF are saying, well, if we let high-speed rail use our lines, then we need to build out our rail yard because that's going to impact our productivity, et cetera. So they're saying it's going to match even, but that's mm. absolutely impossible. I think they said like a million more trucks a year um, or something to that extent. Yeah, so wow. it's it's going to be... It's going to be massive. And so that's another big problem people are facing. So it's almost on, you have the airport on the east side and you have the, you have the rail yard on the west side. Both of these sources wanting to grow, wanting to grow in, in this one community. It's too much, right? Up until one point, what point do we, do we say enough is enough for, for one community? So that's um, what's happening here. And that has a lot of players involved. I mean, that's also the governor who is responsible for maybe figuring out another way to put a high-speed rail in and also you know hopefully it's opportunity to push the rail yards to do something about it because the rail yards are a monopoly yeah they, they own these they control they get to control exactly how they move and they've single-handedly decided that they don't want to upgrade their technology yeah. they still use technology that is super dated right. and soaked in oil and gas when other parts of the world africa uh, Europe, Asia are all using rail systems that are efficient, electric. Exactly. Using, you know, hundred-year-old early yeah, railroad technology in the U.S. We're over here like with the history lessons. Like, look at this old train. Look <laughs> right. at our history when it's yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me too that that's another yet another example of where the sort of green future has been kind of counterposed to you guys in this community, saying like. Well, in order for us to have high-speed rail, which is good for everybody, this community has to suffer. Right, exactly. We should be able to have both. Like, that one for sure should be an easy fix, right? Like, there's no... But you're right. Uh, And that's something that, like, I think we have to really look into the details of some of these environmental projects because sometimes the way to get there might be hurting the community in the way. And the high-speed rail is a really good example. We would love electrified rail. We yeah, love high-speed rail. We would love a, more public transit in this of community, course. right? Um, but we are not seeing that. So. Yeah. And further into the Inland Empire, um, what are the logistics fights going on there? Or is it mostly concentrated in San Bernardino? No, there, there are fights in every single community. And a mm. lot of communities are going with the same issue where certain parts of the community maybe disinvested or ignored by the by politicians or by the county and so they're wanting to use that as their economic hub or their industrial hub you know not acknowledging that people live there families are being built there um and that communities are there one example is like there's an unincorporated part of the county in san Bernardino called bloomington it's a one of it's a really cute city it's uh they, they have horses and they have livestock and they have they oh. still have that piece of it they don't have the track homes they don't have <laughs> like the big yards you know they have um they have very nice culture there and the the county wants to allow for a developer to come in and just rezone the entire area to industrial and there are residents there who are like i'm retiring here i worked my whole life I'm, I've been here for 40 years. This is where I want to die at, you know? And 
they don't want to be bullied and harassed by developers saying, well, now there's a zoning thing. Can I offer you money? Can I offer you this? Right. Everyone's selling. You have to do it. It's, it's this, it's almost like a gentrification, right? Mm-hmm. And renters and our elderly are the ones that get the worst end of it. Renters because they don't get nothing out of a deal. And then yeah. our elderly because a lot of them don't want to move. Right. And so you can go through different areas and the IE where you do see like that lone home that didn't mm, move. That held out. That held out. <laughs> but then you're like, oh no, like you're right next yeah. to this giant 24 hour business that brings in cargoes of trucks every single day. Right. Wow. Every single hour. So yeah, no, it's happening all over. Um, but maybe some light is that like, you know, some cities are, I think, getting a, getting a hand and, and have been pushed uh, by community or now community that fought now sits on these boards or city councils. And they're starting to ask for like moratoriums, like pauses on some of this development, mm-hmm. which is a good sign, a good place that we should be in. It's like saying, hey, maybe we should stop and reorganize ourselves real quick because this is too much. Outside of the pollution, you know, another big issue is like the traffic, right? Like people are stuck like in this traffic for hours. um, Behind trucks. Behind trucks. Even the truckers, I'm like, how is this efficient for your business? (laughs) Right. You have to wait for all. They must be very frustrated. Yeah. 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 And so given the nature of your guys' work at Peace Edge, um, it just seems like a really challenging organizing work because... You're bringing together philosophically like all these parts of people's lives and talking to really busy people with like not the highest wages about, you know, things that might feel a little far off maybe or that are hard to engage with like zoning processes or airport expansion. I mean, these can be kind of like purposefully, I think, difficult to mm-hmm. understand. Um, what are the the concrete organizing strategies you guys use to, to reach out to people in the community? Yeah, I mean, one one has been just like, being able to work within like established um, organizations, so like churches and community orgs and community organizations, um, being able to like really do a lot of like political ed there and and exposure about what's happening. Another strategy has been um, we have been involved in like air monitoring studies or like community science nice. to be able to like really under like for people to understand themselves what's happening in their communities. Um, two has just been like, hey, like we really need a canvas and go into our neighborhoods and do these canvassing drives. You know, it's hot yeah, as hell out here. Right, in 120 it's, degree weather. It's hot as hell out here, <laughs> so but, we're, but we're going to do it, you know? <laughs> you know, it's been like, hey, let's go door to door and let's let's ask people how they feel about what's going on in the community, right? Those, those are really important. Um, but then also like just engaging with the community we're in. So later today, there's going to be this mural unveiling at this boxing gym. And that has been really special to us too, because it's like, there are folks working on, you know, um, engaging the youth and like, uh, doing something like for themselves, boxing and training and all this stuff. It's like, how do we bring in these other elements to their life about like health and the environment and what they want to do? So Finding, again, like all these intersections, I think is really important as a concrete, um, as a concrete way to, to organize. But mm-hmm. it, it is hard. It is really hard. Yeah. Um, people, sometimes when they hear the whole spiel about what's happening, it, it sounds like a lot. Yeah. It's like, what do we do then? Like, I know. It's the so far. The helplessness is real. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we're inspired. There have been elders in the community that have been working for decades and have seen little wins along the way. And so that's what's that's what's important, um, continuing that. 
If we take a step out of San Bernardino for a second, um, this week, the new IPCC report came out, pretty devastating, but not surprising to people like you, especially, um, you know, I have been in the Pacific Northwest this summer, massive heat wave, really frightening, just kind of real life like impacts. Um, and then also you see like different kinds of things like, I don't know, sunrise movement, you know, sort of more, I guess, visible youth organizing around the environment. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like having done this for about a decade or so, like hopeful about what you're seeing or, you know, and do you guys feel kind of connected to national currents and international currents in the environmental movement? Um, yeah, you know, I think a, a big piece um, that I've gotten to learn from other folks doing this work is that like, you know, climate change starts in our, it starts in our hood, right? It's like a, a quote, something mm -hmm. I've learned from our partners out in LA and Long Beach, ECR communities, um, you know, that really teaching that like, if we're going to fight climate change, it starts right here in our communities, because this is, this is a big source of it. First of all, in the United States, right, transportation being the largest yeah. contributor, I'm like, this is where it's got to happen. Yeah. Like, this is where we have to, this is where climate change will start. So that's one piece that's, I think we are connected that way. Um, another piece, unfortunately, is when, like, the fires happen. Right? Yeah. When the fires happen out here, it's, it is devastating and it does impact us, right, worse because we're already having a fragile respiratory system yeah. you know, for smoke to come that's in so on hot days. Like, it's not it's not okay. And so that's, I think, another way where, you know, we, we're able to respond in a way that connects us to this larger movement because a lot of people are like, man, I don't want my health to be, like, worried about, but, like, we do need to take a step back and say, hey, this is connected to the larger mm -hmm. Another partnership I think that really connects us to the larger movement is like our work with the tech workers mm -hmm. out in um, Seattle and the Amazon tech workers who are organizing for climate justice. I think that has been a way for us also to connect our movement here to a larger movement of solidarity, not only with workers, but also with um, workers that are fighting for like companies to do better on climate. Yeah. So that's, I think, a, an important way. And then, of course, like just the international solidarity with um, our different our different families and different communities that are getting impacted by parts of the logistics. I talked a little bit about Lithium Valley, right? And, right, yeah. and, Right? I think that's, yeah, all of those conversations need to be happening right now. Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you read the, the IPCC report or summary? I Yeah, summaries of it. Yeah, it, yeah I mean, it's expected, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And for me, it's pretty good timing, I guess, for that report to come out because... Um, you know, we, our air quality is the responsibility of an air district. Um, we have an air district, so it's a government board okay. represented by different leaders throughout the LA Inland Empire region. Hmm. Okay. And they, we have been challenging them on wanting to use natural gas, methane as a bridge wheel uh -huh. for transportation. Um, and they are just, they're so dead set that they need to use natural gas. And we're like, no, you should not do that. Like, that's horrible. One, the EJ impacts is no one wants to live next to natural gas tanks. And then two, like, I mean, the climate, right? It can't just be yeah. about, I, I get it, you have duties, uh, you know, as an air district for the Clean Air Act, but there's there's this bigger issue here, right? And so it was a good timing because um, we we wrote this letter, a bunch of EJ orgs wrote this letter saying, hey, we've, we, we were asking the state for $750 million for natural gas trucks. Almost a billion dollars wow. for natural gas, locking us in to 15, 20 years of natural gas out here, because it would come here to our communities. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we wrote them a letter saying that it's unacceptable. I mean, we are the residents that are going to have to deal with these decisions. Those are taxpayer money if you want to go there, right? And, and mm-hmm. we've told you that this is like, what? This is not the direction. We need zero. We need to figure out how to get to zero. We can't lock ourselves into this fossil fuel infrastructure any longer. They wrote back this like really snooty letter back to us, just super paternalistic and elitist and just like we're scientists like this is we know what we're doing blah 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 like we're not you can't just tell us one or the other it it was just this whole long thing so there's like it's timely in my opinion because it's like you want to talk about science you know scientists right like don't don't tell community that we don't know what's happening in our in our communities like we know what what we need and we don't need more fossil fuel combustion (laughs) in our communities Here's also this report that you should probably read about <laughs> <laughs> about how we can't be locking in fossil fuels like that. So, yeah, it's it's um it was timely and and it is devastating. But I don't I don't thankfully I don't get the um, what is it climate anxiety? What's it called? Like when people yeah, get you don't like, get that. Like, I, I don't I don't Good I think because you. we're in the I think because we're every day I think like the sometimes it doesn't seem like we're going against we're trying to fight against climate change by stopping a warehouse or going to zoning things. But I think we are like, I think these are all the steps that yeah. will do a bigger picture. This is part of the climate change movement. So I think if we're like, keep getting, just keep working, you know, we, maybe we can push, <laughs> maybe push the anxiety out. Nice. Um, when you guys are doing your outreach work, are you, are you always working in English and Spanish, mostly Spanish, um, indigenous languages? Like how do you do that work? Yeah, no, it's definitely, um, there's a lot of monolingual Spanish speakers out here. There's a lot of communities that are um, either undocumented or partially undocumented. And that always brings an intersection that's really hard um, because people feel a little... Uh, more afraid to speak up when you have status issues, you know, yeah, and, and but it's but it's also in a way good because we have to like we do have to raise a consciousness about like regardless of your status to this place, right? Like that you yeah. are you are afforded the rights to breathe clean and to live a good life, um, you know. And so, but that that is always a dynamic that is tough with with folks that are are here and feel timid, might feel mm-hmm. timid about the issue. Um, but also like, you know, and, and organizing it being bilingual meetings every single time. Yeah. <laughs> also its own form of exhaustion. <laughs> there's also, in the, in San Bernardino specifically, there's also a really big Vietnamese community, Vietnamese immigrant uh-huh. community. So like, um, I know that when we were doing the airport campaign, we had it at a church that is like majority Vietnamese, mm-hmm. uh, cause it was located really close to the airport. And Real so cool. that was like, there's also Im- different immigrant communities that are here, not just mm-hmm. Spanish. In Peace Edge, are you guys thinking about incorporating Vietnamese organizers? May, possibly. I mean, I'm not sure yet if we're there yet, but we, it, it almost is like a necessity to yeah. be able to have organizers that are able to connect to the different pieces of our community, right? And Definitely. that includes, like, because if monolingual Spanish is hard, like, monolingual Vietnamese is also yeah. like, just as difficult. So it's like, yeah, we need those types of um, inserts, right? And those folks are also working in the warehouses and in logistics. Um, I believe I believe so, um, but most of them that we met that we live in the community. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, looking forward to you know the next few months. What are your guys's main priorities um, in terms of your your policy campaigns or your organizing? Um, looking forward, I mean, we are trying to continue to make sure that the air district. 
um, holds accountable the warehouses. We were mm-hmm. able to pass this regulation to make like quote unquote clean warehouses. Like so, warehouses are now going to be mandated to start setting up solar panels and infrastructure for electric trucks. Because that's always also the buyout is like, well, there's no infrastructure ready. It's like, okay, well, you're going to get that infrastructure ready then, you know? Because yeah. that's what we need in the community. So we're we're going to keep trying to make the industry that's here more sustainable. Personally, though, I believe that like the few, we need to, we can't really be accepting anymore of this infrastructure of like high consumption in our communities. We need to figure out alternatives. And so if we can't figure out how to deal with all this messy stuff, we shouldn't be adding anymore. That's why we're very supportive of campaigns that are about stopping, just like we don't need them. Mm-hmm. We don't need anymore in our communities. And that, at the same time, like partnering up with our labor partners in making sure that like as we do clean up the existing industry here we do it in a way that is just to the workers mm-hmm. that are living there mm-hmm. i have one last question yeah. for today which is yeah i've heard you say something like what you were just saying about kind of degrowth or you know stopping particular forms of, of sort of yeah. capitalist growth um and also about you know what you've observed in terms of the goods that we consume and how they get to us mm-hmm. some of that stuff like can sound like you're making a, consu- a consumer recommendation or like an individual recommendation for living. And um, I think it's something I struggle with and I know a lot of other environmentally inclined people struggle with. Like, should we be like, you hear some people on the left being like, it doesn't matter what individuals do. Like we should just focus on the structural stuff or, you know, does it actually matter to incorporate this stuff into your lives? Like, how do you strike that balance and what, how do you talk about that with people in the community? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's both. Like, I, I don't think we can absolve ourselves of all duties. Um, <laughs> I think we do have a responsibility to consume less, especially when the system that to consume is so toxic, um, not only to people that people might not know, but also to the environment. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it can, like, what I think I have a problem with is when um, companies especially try to make it about individuals and what they're doing. and. Out here, you know, we have people tell us like, "Well, you shop online. Why are you? Why are you complaining about those warehouses? Right? Like, you you're part of the problem too." And it's like, "No, sir. Like, <laughs> we are not." And I say "sir" specifically because they're always men. Like, uh, we're not because like we we literally are the people that are consuming the least, right, out in these communities. And like, we shouldn't have to be bearing a big of a brunt. Mm-hmm. If, if you're gonna be consuming that much, here are the consequences of it. And I'm sure. If they put these consequences in communities that are shopping lists, I bet you they'd shop less. You know, it's like, I just, people just don't, unfortunately, mm-hmm. don't get to feel like those actions or those actions are more invisible to them mm-hmm. that they do. But now this, there's definitely a personal that we, we all have to do, but then it's, it's structural and it's not just against companies. It's also our government. Like yeah. a lot of people, uh, car culture out here is really big. Um, I am not for like, let's make every car electric. Cause I do think like low riders and uh like trucking is like a uh, really big out here is a cultural <laughs> thing right i would never want to take that away from people but i also like where is that where are the options for us to be able to like use like public transit like they disinvested that from us yeah. like they took that away from us right and that's that's coming straight from our from our government so mm-hmm. um i think the battle is to make sure the government and companies mix create better options for us mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times what happens I know in our communities is that like that is the only option like yeah. we need to buy cheap it's hard to pay rent right. like we need to yeah. buy here on Amazon we need to buy at the Dollar Tree that's like has like lead plates right like we have right. to do, like it becomes a, a dependency thing 
So it's like, how do we push the systems to like, so we have different options and then wipe those people out. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of both though, for sure. That's helpful. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Such a pleasure. This was good. Thank you so much. And we'll go to the mural unveiling in a little bit. Okay. Wonderful. (laughs) Thanks.